Good evening, everyone. Um, we're going to talk about the Harry Potter fandom tonight, so we're probably going to meander all over this topic because, as we always do, it's a pretty big topic, and we tend to meander. So we're going to get started. Um, I want to take a moment to thank everybody who's donated um, to Rough Trade. Uh, it's really um, – I'm really thankful. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, I don't really have time um, currently to email everybody who 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 has who has donated. So um, just thank you, thank you so much. Um, I'm busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. To quote Dolly Parton. <laughs> and now I'm sitting talk. here with egg with egg drop suit that's too hot to eat, and um. Straight, I love that movie. I know it's cheesy. I don't care. It did give me one of my favorite insults to give people. Well, not insults, but, you know, just exclamations of shut the fuck up, which is get down off the cross. Somebody needs the wood. That's right. (laughs) So, yeah. It was. I'm not particularly fond of Tosswa. I think the egg, the um, the cloud bread would be really good. It doesn't taste like cauliflower. I mean, if if I didn't know I'd made it with cauliflower, I would not have done that pizza crust with cauliflower. I, I wouldn't have had any idea. It's a binder. At least the recipe that I use, the binder is egg and egg and Parmesan cheese, and the Parmesan just really completely overpowers the taste of the cauliflower. So you don't really, I don't really get it at all. But yeah, I am considering. Um, I used to make cloud bread with sugar. I'd like to make it with Splenda to see how it turns out, or maybe a Splenda blend. I don't know. Because um, cloud bread can be kind of picky if you don't do it exactly the way you're supposed to. Now I'm not sure what Splenda would do to um, egg whites. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's not the topic this hmm. evening. Um, but I am considering making some cloud bread to um, to um, for sandwiches, and so I thought that'd be actually a really good base. For a little pizza. Because I have some pesto right now and some chicken and some mozzarella cheese. That does sound like pizza. Yeah, that sounds like pizza waiting to happen. I also have some pizza sauce, but I like a, I I find lately that I like a white um, pizza, a white sauce pizza or um, pesto instead of tomato sauce. Um, Definitely pesto. Yeah. Yeah, definitely pesto. I I'm having a love affair with pesto. It, it comes and goes. Like for a while there, I didn't even want to look at it, but now I want to put it on everything. I did put it on my ham sandwich the other day. It was excellent. I highly recommend that you do that. I have to. I do have to make my own pesto though. I'm I'm pretty judgy about pesto, so. Um, mm-hmm. Also, pesto can. I can't make my really own, but I'm lazy, so I buy it. It can vary really widely in its salt content. I mean, like extremely, like from, you know, yeah. 50, 50 milligrams of salt per serving to over 1,000 milligrams of salt per serving. And I have to watch salt very carefully, so I can't really take that chance. Yeah. I'm look at the brand that I bought last and see how 
see the salt on it. Sodium 400. That's a little high. Not terrible, but yeah. a little high. I guess I could make my own. It's just a lot of work. Miss Sam. Not really. Not really. And the hardest part is the chopping and the mincing of the garlic, and I don't even do that. I put it in the food processor before the before the basil and let the food processor tear it apart. No way I'm sitting there mincing garlic. To hell with that. Well, this doesn't even have what the salt content would be. Anyways, we're not here to talk about food, but food always comes yeah, up because... It always does. We're always eating when the yeah. podcast is on. <laughs> yeah. And I am eating, yes. Like I said, I have egg drop stews that I can't actually um, eat. Damn, that's got 600. Um, I bought some really nice fresh pesto at uh, Publix. Oh, it was so good. It was like in their deli section. Maybe I should go over there and see what their sugar is like. I mean, what their salt content is like. Because, um, man, I clicked back over on Messenger because it was blinking at me. And somebody whooped my butt at pool. That's okay because I beat her two games and now it's two games for her. So I guess we're even. It's okay. I'm not mad. If you're listening, cool. I'm not mad. Pool. I well, like. <laughs> okay. I don't even know. What I'll challenge you to a game. Right. I'll challenge you to a game after um, the podcast, and you can check it out. All right. <clears throat> okay. So there was this um, topic on um, Minion headquarters where this lady had her husband had come to her. Uh, I don't want to use her name because um, I didn't ask her in advance, and so um, I don't want to use any names. Her husband. Um, came to her the plot bunny, and basically the plot bunny was that um, Lily was brewing. How do you say it? Oh, the 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 Felix Felices. Yes, and Harry wanted her, and he accidentally apparated to her, and he got splashed with the poison, the um, the potion, and he absorbed it permanently. His magic keeps renewing it, so he's lucky the rest of his life. And what are the ramifications of that? And the thing is, is that can get really insidious. Of course, um, you know, because if Harry's always lucky, people around him will have, could end up bearing the consequences of various activities. Could, yeah. On the other side of it, um, I don't think his parents would die in Godric's Hollow because that would be really unlucky. Yeah, of course, the really curse will bounce off of him because it would be really unlucky if he died. But if that's true, 
and the, and the luck potion will prevent a curse from hitting you. Why isn't every single person in the magical world running around doped up on this potion? I assume because it's hard to brew. <clears throat> if it would beat the killing curse, nothing would be too hard to brew. But you'd have to take it right when... With the way the potion's designed to work, which is a very short duration of action, you would have to know exactly when to take it because it's, it doesn't last for very long. So you would have to be constantly brewing something very difficult and taking it. And conceivably, I mean, I would think in order to manage that, that you would have um, it be toxic to take it too much or something like that. Well, um, they're saying that overdosing is bad and... Um, and all that stuff, and it's also addictive. But um, Harry's magic renews it over and over again, and it won't kill him, so he has it in his body. It's investing most of his magic, so he can't theoretically use his magic for anything because the potion is using it, but he's really lucky. So in my estimation, if he's really lucky, then it doesn't really matter how much power he has, any spell he casts will work. It depends upon what luck is, right? Um, is luck that you can always, when you when you try to cast a spell, it works? Or does, is luck that your spell works when you need it to? It depends on how you build it. Right. So I've been noodling this for a while because it's amusing. But also there are ramifications like um, if you're lucky all the time, like if say there's a contest at school and you get lucky and you win but you're only winning it because you're lucky because of the potion which means you've taken that from somebody else and it goes on and on and on every single time he is subverting somebody else's accomplishment because he's lucky Well, I don't think, I think luck would not be something so overt as to physically move you. Luck is like, you don't know a spell is coming your way, um, and all of a sudden something twinkles at you, and you lean down to pick it up, and the spell passes over your head. That's luck. And, right? and hits You're, on. <laughs> right. Your attention oh, oh, got luck, luck isn't that some unearthly power picks you up and moves you, right? It's, I would say it's a more more. Because if if Harry's, I mean, if if Harry's being moved around by, you know, against his will, well, that doesn't seem a very lucky. And B, he would have noticed it. So conceivably, he doesn't know. He must think he's right. You know, things always seem to work out for him, but he wouldn't necessarily be aware of this this luck thing. Um, but it's like more a case of you know you need he's thirsty and. Um, it just so happens he's walking past a place that's giving out free samples of some sort of fruity beverage, and so he gets his thirst sated without spending any money. I mean, luck can be very minor, but it's kind of, I would think it'd be a very um, kind of random thing. I mean, I don't want to give spoilers. It's in the pre, it's in the pre- trailer for Deadpool, but there's a, there's a girl in Deadpool who's, Deadpool 2, who's, um, whose superpower is that she's lucky. Um, they do. If you haven't seen Deadpool and you want to see like somebody do a really good job of what luck looks like, 
you should definitely watch watch Deadpool. Deadpool too, because there's no, no. Um, I want to see it, but I, I definitely want to see it now because like I, I've been noodling this for a while. Yeah, it's awesome. It's incredible what they do with Domino and her luck because she's trying to um, um, convince. She tries to convince Deadpool that she's lucky. He's like, no, it's not. No, you're not. And this stuff. This is all in the trailer. But yeah, so what they do with her and her luck is really interesting. So it's definitely seeing how somebody put that together is is definitely worth going to have a look at that. The movie is hysterical. Um, I like the. I think I like the first Deadpool slightly better um, as a story. But the second one was funnier. Um, I laughed much harder in the second movie. I actually, a couple times, I, I was worried that I was going to have to, like, I was going to pee my pants or something. So <laughs> it, was, it, it was close. Regular luck would be, but potion-enhanced luck as... Um, that's fueled by his own magic. That would be different, <clears throat> and there would be a lot of unintended consequences. First, being of course that he got doused in the potion t- at all. <laughs> yeah, that would be the first lucky thing. If he gets doused in the potion, instead of negative consequences, the lucky thing is that it happens to interact with his magic just right. That he survives. Yeah. So anyway, definitely, I was telling Jilly about definitely, this. Definitely, definitely, but definitely see Deadpool too, and then and then we should re, re, re talk again about about how to apply luck because it's really fascinating what they did in the movie. Okay. Um, I was talking to her about it, and I was like, well, "What if L- Lily's last act was to do something very deliberate and kind of dark, and that she put a permanent, maybe even blood-based or um." karma curse on her son. Now, I use the karma curse on Ron in uh, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, wherein if he does good, he gets good, but if he hurts somebody, it comes back on him threefold. But I was thinking, what if Lily tailored the spell to protect her child? And then the various consequences that would take place after her death. And I was joking about it. And I said, so the first time Petunia tries to slap Harry, she breaks her hand. And all the way over in Scotland, Albus Dumbledore's jaw breaks for no reason. Because he's just as responsible as Petunia. Yep. <laughs> of course, that's after he gets over his horrific bout of pneumonia for leaving Harry on the doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that karma curse would affect, I would think, um, in terms of the... Hmm, so I would think it would affect everything that I wanted to talk about tonight. Yeah, I, I would think that the karma curse would affect everybody who was in any way complicit with leaving him on the doorstep in some fashion. 
maybe to varying that degrees. That would include Hagrid and Minerva. Yeah. But I'm trying to – I'm thinking, would it affect Sirius when he handed – when? I don't know that it would for him handing Harry over to, to – except he's kind of abdicating his responsibility to Hagrid, somebody who conceivably doesn't have a way to protect Harry with Death Eaters out there. Oh, because so if it does actually impact Sirius, Sirius doesn't go to Azkaban. He's too sick with pneumonia in St. Mungo's to hunt Peter Pettigrew. Would what if the wand wouldn't let him apparate or something? What if his magic just failed him? What would a karma curse do if you're walking away from your responsibilities? It'd kick you in the ass. It would give you a not so gentle reminder of your responsibilities. Of course, Peter would pay, too, because the karma curse is already in place. He's betrayed them, um, and Harry's parents are dead. So Peter has unforgivably wounded Harry. That's true. It's interesting to see, because there's always these um, stories where Lily does something, you know, protective and light and... um, uh, and and good to Harry, and that's why he's protected. But I was like, oh, what if she did something a little, a lot shady instead? Something illegal and dark. Because she's going out, and she knows it, and so she's going to give her son the best protection she possibly can. And fuck all the rest. I, I have to say, that that's how I'd go out. Well, I mean, you have to. I agree. I agree. Something would have happened to something would have happened to Peter probably pretty quickly, um, which would have prevented the whole thing with with Sirius. But it's a matter of figuring out what, because karma is not. Um, I don't know. It's not a real clear cut to me answer what would happen to him for betrayal. And karma isn't always immediate. True. It isn't always immediate. But I would think if it was a karma curse, it would be pretty close to immediate. Yeah. It wouldn't be like years later or even months later. It would be pretty quick. Because karma not being immediate is typically probably in the natural order of things. But if it's... um, Would the karma curse? Well, I would imagine the, would the what would cause the karma curse to kick in would be the minute she applied it. Her death. So her death is what caused it to kick in. So I think her death fuels it. Fuels it. Fuels so her. that would definitely mean it. Whatever yeah. Voldemort did from that point, um, he's going to pay for it threefold.
So okay. How do you punish? So, how do you punish? How do you punish Voldemort first? How do you punish Voldemort more well, than he's punished? Depends on if you want him on the board or not. Because I have to tell you, in, in writing Dracula Lowell and making Voldemort basically a footnote, it's been a very interesting. It's a very interesting um, situation where Voldemort was just, you know, basically a nuisance. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's a very interesting place to write in Harry Potter fandom where Voldemort's basically a nuisance. So you could, in theory, make that the power that uh, Voldemort knew not. And when he curses Harry Potter that night, it kills him, and it destroys his horcruxes. And he's gone. The rebound is, like, much more powerful, and it totally wipes him out of existence. Boom. Because there has to be extra karma consequences for attempting to murder an 18-month-old baby. Is it 15 or 18? I always, let's fuck that up, 15. There has to be extra consequences, karma-wise, for murdering an infant. 15 months. I'm just saying. That's like special hell. (laughs) That's special hell. Yeah, so he'd be wiped out of existence. There'd be no horcruxes. Um so, so if you let it play out and let kind of let the consequences of Sirius and Dumbledore's actions play out a little bit, because um, they both need to learn a lesson, and they can't learn a lesson if you don't let them have their mistakes, right? So, you let Sirius go running after Peter. Meanwhile, the karma curse is driving Peter nuts because he betrayed the Potters. He's probably I'd have him actually turn himself in. Hoping that, that, hoping that a confession will will release him from It doesn't have to be three things. It's threefold. It, it, three times as much. Like you're gonna be punished like if like if you punch somebody in the face it's going to break your face. You won't get a black eye. You'll get a a broken jaw kind of thing. You know? It's threefold. It's... But, so you have Hagrid take Harry to Privet Drive. And Dumbledore does his thing. Um... Dumbledore, Minerva, and Hagrid, and Sirius all get sick. They all get the pneumonia that Harry likely should have gotten being left on that doorstep, injured in the middle of the first of November in fucking Britain. By the time they recover, Peter has turned himself into the DMLE. Sirius is not um, wanted. He's calmed down because he's been sick and unable to do anything. 
and he starts um, the karma is pushing him to take his responsibility as godfather so he starts making demands on Dumbledore and meanwhile Dumbledore keeps having these um, he's starving he's out, he's hungry all the time he, he, he can't stay clean he doesn't know why Mysterious bruises. Now, would it get that far? Because at some point, Petunia's going to have to notice that the worse she treats her nephew, the worse off she is. It wouldn't just be her. It would be Vernon, too. Right, right. So it would only... But I would think that before it's a constant state of misery for Dumbledore, Minerva, Hagrid, whoever that Vernon and Petunia are going to at least hit some sort of standard of minimum standard of care in their own self-interest. Yeah, I think mean, you're right. They're going to have to twig in at some point. point. That the karma would be projecting all of Harry's grief on everyone. Yeah. They would try to get rid of him if they realized it was Harry making them miserable and upset. And, um, but they might not because then they don't know what um, if I mean, Petunia's not an idiot. She has to know that if she, if if Harry comes to harm, that it could end up killing her. Karma causes the ultimate horror for Vernon by making Dudley magical. <laughs> but you're thinking, you know, Vernon, Vernon and Petunia don't have to get karma. They only have to get magic, which is what they're going to assume is happening. If they smack Harry and they get a bruise, they're not dumb. They're going to assume magic is involved and they're going to stop smacking Harry. Okay? Because they're not... Um, they're too too selfish and self-interested to, they may not jump to karma, they may not jump to a karma curse, but they don't have to because they're already suspecting magic. Right. And they're not wrong. They just don't understand the nature of the magic. But it's pretty clear cut. If you starve someone and you're hungry, no matter how much you eat, they're going to think man, magic and they're going to blame Harry. If they hit him and they get a bruise, they're going to stop hitting him so that they don't get hurt. I mean, that's just also in terms of the way, with the way karma works, Harry's not an empath. His inconsolable grief would only be projected at the people who were in some way responsible for his grief, which could conceivably be all the Death Eaters. Oh, God, he can make them all commit suicide. <laughs> because at like 10 months old, he would be he wouldn't understand where, where his, his mother was, he would just be, he would just be miserable and sad and hurt and scared all the time. Right. So if magic, in a way, if it's a karma curse, in some fashion, magic has to judge who is responsible for his sadness. And if any, if they, if, if his sadness is the responsibility of, to some degree, Dumbledore for lack of care. And, and Petunia for lack of care. Who is responsible? If ultimately Voldemort is responsible for the lack of his parents, then those who supported Voldemort 
are who's alive to take the brunt of the curse that karma's trying to dole out. Well, I don't think I don't think I don't honestly don't think karma would attack Dudley for what Petunia is. No, Dudley's fifteen months old. He's a baby. Even if he's overfed and spoiled, he's a child. Again, I really don't think that the curse would uh, would touch anybody innocent. So, um, right, and, and Dudley is a pain in the ass when he gets older, but he's just a baby then. He's not going to be the problem. I mean, it might reflect, it, it might deflect Dudley and blame Petunia if Dudley hit Harry because she's allowing yeah. it to happen. But I I think Harry would be out of that house a long time before Dudley was old enough to do anything to Harry. Right, I agree, I agree. I think that um, Dumbledore and Sirius both would be driven by karma. Yeah. Now, Sirius, on the night that he lets Hagrid take Harry, he's, he's, he's very young. He is 21, 20, 21. Um, when um the, when James and Lily are murdered, he has just lost his best friends. Um, his other friend has betrayed them to the darkest wizard in, of their time. He's 21 years old. He is utterly unprepared. Kind of grief to hit him. He loses his mind. It's something that you can relate to. Dumbledore's actions are completely, I can't relate. No. And the difference is, I think the car, the curse would be driving um, Sirius to pick up his responsibilities because that's what Sirius did wrong. He neglected a responsibility, right? So it would be driving right. him to correct that, to correct that, to go get Harry, right? Dumbledore, regardless of how, what he was driven to do, would probably be the first to figure out, at least the way I would view it, the first to figure out that this was a karma curse and would be trying to find a way to break the curse rather than fix his shitty karma. Would he immediately jump to karma or would he think that he was being punished by magic? Well, it depends upon his viewpoint on the whole thing, right? If he, if he knows karma curse, a karma curse exists, and if he thinks it's dark magic, he may not jump there immediately if he thinks Lily is fundamentally light. Um, but if he thinks he's being punished by magic, I think that that would actually drive him to remedy the situation faster than if he thought it was a karma curse. Right. I think a karma curse, he would feel kind of like might think that um, in effect, effectively a karma curse would have to be basically employing magic to um, correct these deficiencies. So in a way it is being judged by magic, but um, I don't know. I just, the way I see Dumbledore is I think he would probably figure it out fairly quickly. And I think that he would, as opposed to trying to correct the karma that was clearly saying you're at fault here, he would um, 
Actually, that brings us, I think you would try to figure out how to break the curse, but that brings us to the point that I think Minerva would also figure it out, and I do think she would admit, if she felt like she, if a curse was saying that she was in the wrong, I think she'd be out there trying to fix it immediately. Mm-hmm. I agree. She didn't want to leave him there to begin with. Dumbledore over No, she didn't. And I, I think, honestly, in a more realistic situation, the only way that actually happened the way it did is because Dumbledore cursed various people to ignore the situation. Yeah. The karma curse could overpower that. It could. And what if, if what if, if, so let's say she's been cursed to ignore or to give some sort of obedience curse or something. And, um, um, because the karma, because she's not doing this really of her own volition, the karma curse can't act out against her, so it acts out against Dumbledore by breaking the obedience curse. That that's the karmic penalty for preventing Minerva from helping. That it destroys basically all of her loyalty to Dumbledore, manufactured or not. I would think only the manufactured loyalty. Whatever was getting in the then way Then you have to ask of, how much is left that's real. Well, what is left that's real, what I think would instantly get shattered by the awareness that she's been under a spell. Because it, if karma's seeking out to punish the guilty, right, threefold, it would, let's say it went after Minerva. So let's say it's a magic, it's kind of magic, and it finds that she's not at fault for her actions. Well, then it would have to punish Dumbledore extra. He would get Minerva's portion. So what does that look like when Minerva's portion is about the fact that she was controlled? It would break the spell and make him deal with her wrath and make her aware of the spell. So then she'd be pissed. I think no matter which way you do this, Harry is not, to me, if this karma spell works properly, Harry's not there for very long. No, no, either way. Yeah, that's a very good point. If all the, if all the Death crying. Eaters are having to, are absorbing Harry's grief and confusion and hurt and fear, they don't they don't have the ability to do anything else. Because if you think about how a child's emotions overwhelm them, that's what they're dealing with, the overwhelming emotions of a child. They're not going to be able to, they won't even know where it's coming from. Right, they're just going to feel, they're just going to feel all these raw emotions that they don't know what to do with. And they probably can't do anything about it because they're being punished by karma. No cheering charms, no calming potions. So some of them might get just sad and despondent and go into kind of a depressive state. Others might act irrationally and break laws very obviously and get themselves arrested. And some still might kill themselves for just to get some relief. Yeah. Yeah. There won't be any end of Snape suffering. Well, Snape especially, because he was there. What is karma going to do to him 
before for leaving Harry for, for for walking into that room and ignoring a hurt baby. And also for being responsible for the Dark Lord even learning of the prophecy which led to the murders of Harry's parents, which has caused all of Harry's grief and all of his hurt. Maybe. I don't know that I'm sold on that because I wonder if karma is more about deliberate actions than... Because clearly, if I think I think it's clear in canon that if Snape knew who that prophecy was about, he wouldn't have said anything. Um, mm-hmm. So, but he did nothing to stop the attack. Well, there's that, and he negotiated for um, Lily's life over her son's. So that was pretty egregious. Heinous. He never cared if Harry survived that night. No, he really didn't. Not not even in the face of the prophecy, he did not care. So in his mind, it would have been a perfectly okay world if Voldemort had won, as long as he had Lily. That seems to be the logical conclusion from canon, yes. Now, I've seen it in fanfic where people are sort of rationalized, like, well, he knows he's going to kill them all, so he's going to negotiate for whoever he can save. Mm, no. Bullshit. No. Yeah, that's not what you do in that situation. You find out that what, what you do in that situation, um, you find out that you've massively fucked up and you realize this is about somebody you care about, is you go to Lily and you say, this is the deal. This is the prophecy. This is what I did. She may hate you forever, but that's what you do is you give them the best chance they can have to survive. You don't negotiate the the, the life of an infant. Yeah. It is utterly irredeemable. Stories where they tried to justify that, I always close them. I can't. Yeah, there's no, there's no, because there's, there's no, no justification. Yeah, I mean, the only way that you have him be remotely redeemable is he, he, he puts on a good face for Valdi, and then he leaves, and he goes to Lily, and he tells her the truth. Not Dumbledore, he goes to Lily. And, you know, for me, honestly, the only way Snape is redeemable after he reveals the prophecy and it's learned to be about. Lily's family is that he dies in Godric's Hollow trying to stop Voldemort. That's how Snape redeems himself. Um, Well, I mean, I I mean, I wrote, I wrote it that he's potioned that he is coerced in a fashion um, to the into his behavior in the story in in the canon events. but that's but, not redemption. That's a change of circumstances. Yeah, it's the same yeah, thing. But even if he is potioned or cursed, coerced before the fact, his obsession. I mean, well, it depends. On, I guess it depends on the nature of it. It's still, it's still not redemption. There's just it's. 
someone whose mind is not their own um, is in some way their actions can't be held against them when their mind is not their own. But you still don't expect them to sit there and the people that they victimize and expect them to accept sitting next to that person. You know, it's just not the way that works. Yeah, you can change Snape's that. backstory and make his character interesting and less stalkery and more of a more of a protagonist um, that you can um, maneuver in a good way. But if you maintain his canon backstory and his canon actions all the way up to the point where Harry goes to Hogwarts, he is an irredeemable monster. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and and to me, actually, the biggest the two things, the two things that I cannot get past is that he bartered for Lily's life over, over hers, over her son's, and that he walked into a room where Lily was clearly dead, and there's a ch- wounded child, and he ignored the wounded baby, and grieved over his lost Lily. That to me was just absolutely. It was, yeah, it was, it was obscene. And then everything that's piled on after that, um, with the way he treated Harry actually at Hogwarts is just sort of insult to injury. But the, the, he's, those two, those two acts are where I can't deal. You know, I've seen that scene. He doesn't know how it's romantic. It's not romantic. It's disgusting. Here is this baby injured, screaming his head off in his, in his, in his bed, in his cot, ever what the British call it. Um, and he's cradling a corpse. And crying. It Green lacks humanity. Terrible. It does. It does. Because grief is a terrible thing, but when you, you just, you don't, you don't, you don't cry over the dead while the living are suffering. Possibly dying. For all he knew, Harry was dying on that crib. They didn't know what he'd been cursed with. Nobody knew anything at that point. I'm still, one of the things I've never been clear on in canon, and I don't want to go down to a rat hole, but I have never been clear in canon how anybody was sure of Voldemort was dead. Why that was right? the conclusion they jumped to based upon those events. I mean, someone had to have come come to the conclusion based upon the rubble at that place. Somebody came to the conclusion that Voldemort died there, and the and the, by the next morning the Wizarding World was celebrating. How was that conclusion reached? Uh, Dumbledore decided. Right, Dumbledore decided. A couple of dead people and a living baby, and people jumped to the conclusion that a Harry Potter defeated. Defeated him and survived the killing curse. Again, I don't see I didn't see any evidence of either of those things. I think this again boils down to the fact that the story is told mostly from Harry's point of view and he never asked. <laughs> what? It's true. Oh no, I agree. I was just reading that comment and from Nathan. That's egregious. Fan. How could he not how could he not ask? 
could there be, you know, I have, you know what's really interesting, and I, I know we talk a lot about Dumbledore being, you know, cursing people and shit because he's an evil mastermind, but before Harry gets to Hogwarts, he's really excited, and he's reading his books. That's how he named his owl. He's reading his books, and he's he's all curious. And then he gets to Hogwarts and suddenly becomes the least curious person on Earth. Yeah. A lot of folks blame Ron, that, you know, that Ron was so lazy-ass and... um that he just ruined Harry. Um, but it sure does seem like he was cursed, right? <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that it seems like that whole fucking school is cursed under pretty much a non-curiosity spell of some sort because nobody ever reports things to their parents, the shit that happens. Oh, right. so got into the school. Right. And no parents were apprised of this fact that a couple of kids almost died. There's a line in my pocket dragon story where the um, the kids are hiding under the table because Isidore has lost her mind in the great hall. And she's her, she's her big size. All 10 feet of her. And, um, Roger Davies is under the table with Harry and Hermione. And he says, I'm going to use the history of magics to write my my parents a novel about this. <laughs> I mean, it seems like in canon, the only kid who ever tells their parents anything about the shit goes down the school is Draco Malfoy. <laughs> His father will definitely hear about this. <laughs> my father's going to hear about this. His father needed to hear a lot, hear hear about all of it, because there was some serious shit going on. If my kid ended up in the forbidden, for, the forbidden forest in the middle of the night with somebody who can't do magic, I'd have fucking wanted to know. Oh yeah, and he'd have, he'd, it's one of the times that Lucius Malfoy would have had would justifiably um, upset with Dumbledore and probably cursed his ass off. <sighs> I'm just saying. Father definitely need to hear about it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, it, it almost, you could almost make the case, not almost, you could make the case that there is a, like, a compulsion not to report things back to their parents. It makes sense. Otherwise, how come the DME, come um, Amelia Bones didn't fucking show up to talk about the troll? Right, exactly. Because her name was a Hufflepuff first year. Right, and you can't. I I cannot believe that um, that she would not have reported the troll in the school unless she was compelled not to. Right. And once they come to investigate a troll, and where is the troll, by the way, Dumbledore? We like to see this troll. They would find a three-headed dog. The Cerberus would be the next thing up. It just it just would be. Um, yeah, Isidore I mean, tells, um, um, tells on him about the three-headed dog, too. It's a pretty funny scene. I'm really amused with myself. 
<laughs> I'm not sure if it's, I don't think it's actually on, on EAD. Um, but yeah, I really amused myself. But Harry She's with ruining Dumbledore's life. Harry with a luck spell on him would probably do something inadvertent. Like he would have what seemed like an unlucky moment where he tripped and blood on a ward stone or something. And oops, accidental. Oh, I tripped. I've never cut myself before. And he, he's a founder's heir and he bleeds on a ward stone and it resets the wards and all of the kids' curiosity is reset. Um, <laughs> 700 hands the right at the same time. Um, right. Why exactly is the Forbidden Forest forbidden? Yeah. What's, what's in the third what's in it that will kill us? Yes. <laughs> and Dumbledore realizes there's a problem with the spells on the school when literally every kid has an issue with his opening speech. It's like, hello. Um, questions. And so they Harry's come in next senior. year. Every second year raises their hand. Is the third floor still going to kill us? safe this year <laughs> so Harry's first seemingly That's unlucky moment is is actually <laughs> um, when he, he thinks it's unlucky because he trips and falls and cuts himself but really he's bleeding on the wardstone and uh, um, I mean I don't know what point of view you would tell this story from so that it was clear what was going on um, but yeah, so he resets that, the ward somehow. Yeah, point of view. We talked about point of view. Point of view in that story is it, that's one of the times when I'll, actually an omniscient narrator um, is a better choice because you're wanting that high level view of everybody's actions and consequences, and you want to be able to get the reactions of 40 people very quickly. That's where an omniscient point of view is very helpful. But I want to confess something here. I suck at that point of view. It's not the easiest point of view to write. I don't particularly like it. Um, this is going to sound weird, know, but I, I find it kind of restrictive. For me, it helps to imagine, if I'm going to do an omniscient point of view, it helps to imagine, give the narrator a character. And by that, I mean, do your Mary Sue, okay, craft her or him or whoever your narrator is, and give them a personality and a backstory so that you're in their point of view when you're telling the story. Maybe you could tell it from Azir's point of view. Good, yeah. Or a sorting hat or Hogwarts point of view or... Um, it's not often that I read a story where um, a non-person's point of view is good, but it does happen. I've read a couple of stories that had, like a couple of um, MCU stories that had a point of view for Jarvis, where like not, now he's not the whole point of view, but like every once in a while there's a chapter that's Jarvis's point of view. And it works really well because um, Jarvis's point of view is uh, at least when it's done well, it's both kind of, it's a very interesting point of view because it, it's a little bit more detached. Um, so there's an objectivity to it that's interesting. But there's also this kind of like, um, a lot of times it's almost not quite childlike, but there's something very innocent about 
Jarvis, because I, I always, in, I, I kind of anthropomorphize Jarvis and Friday quite a bit um, as being um, like actual people in a way, um, young learning people. They're still young in the soul front kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I'm actually going to do that. That's actually what in my, in my plot for when in the for the story of Tony the Guide is that when he comes online, he feels Jarvis um, feels us, feels him empathically that he knows that he's real, that he's actually created a that's actually like a child kind of thing. So um, um, but so that kind of point of view can be interesting. So like a, a Hogwarts point of view can be. I've seen it done in some Harry Potter stories. A Hogwarts point of view. As, as an interesting additional point of view to a story. And you could do something like that where Hogwarts has a point of view or, because um, especially if you have like an, a point of view that's very omniscient about magic that can decipher the magic that's going on and understand what's happening, that's a, a unique point of view because there's no mystery, right? You can really explain to the audience exactly what's going on because Hogwarts could see or feel Spells being lifted, wards being reset, understand the magic that's on Harry, um, that kind of thing. But if you wanted to follow the story from the very beginning, you'd want to give it, – it, it couldn't be Hogwarts or the Sorting Hat. It would have to be um, a magical creature of some kind. Yeah, it could be that. It could be a house elf. It could be um, a cat. It could be Lily's familiar. She follows yeah. Harry all the way to um, Privet Drive. There's a fun point of view. He wouldn't be visible, I wouldn't think. Um. No, I have um, I have been exploring Veer um, in a, a different story, um, and um, really digging into his character. And he shows up both as um, a, a little dragon, um, a drake, and also in his in his um, his human form. Um, and uh, he's um, he's just just kind of building his character and exploring him has been really interesting. But the story is being told mostly from Harry's point of view. Um. And uh, Harry is murdered. He dies very young um, after the war. And um, he's brought before Zir because he failed in his duty to magic. And so he basically, him and Zir um, end up basically arguing and fighting and for 10 years <laughs> before Harry agrees <laughs> to go back in time to fix the problem. And so Harry has this antagonistic uh, relationship with um, the god of sorcery, and um, it's uh, it's in no way paternal. <laughs> Zier thinks he's an asshole, and Harry's positive that Zier is an asshole. <laughs> so they're, you know, exploring <laughs> Zier as a character like that, and you know, where he actually has. Um, He's moving in the events and in the scenes, and he's not just an observer like he is in Darkly Lowell. It's, it's very interesting. Um, 
not something I expected to be really intrigued by, but I'm I'm digging it. So if you had a character like that you would want to use, that'd be really cool. I think um, as a writer, you, you'd probably enjoy it. You being you guys, <laughs> not just Jilly. Generic you. Generic you. I mean, really, think it was a luck spell. I think that Harry would. Yeah, but luck, luck is different way. from karma. Right, but if we're just we we sort of two different concepts. With a luck spell, mm-hmm. Harry would luck his way into a different family. Um, mm-hmm. um, probably fairly young. So he, I don't think he would grow up on private drive. Um, As luck would have it. Very, yeah. So, whereas with a karma spell, I think that he would be removed from private drive fairly quickly. I think karma would force people to be good. It'd punish them when they weren't. So it comes down as how stubborn is Dumbledore? Very. I really do think that the person who would who would have the power and the ability to get to Harry first and and resolve things would be Minerva. Um, I think karma would keep pushing it serious until he was in the right place. But once Harry was no longer in jeopardy, um, I mean, that, the karma spell could be a really interesting opportunity to do something very different with Minerva, where she's the vehicle by which a lot of things get prevented. Harry grows up in a better family. She um, is able to alert the Longbottoms to what's going on. They're able to take better care of themselves um, so that they don't get hurt. Um, a bunch of depressed Death Eaters get rounded up before Harry's happy again. Because um, basically on the threefold thing, they will either be three times as miserable as Harry or for three times as long or potentially both. So if Harry's miserable for a day, they both might be miserable good. for three. Both is good because um, – but I, I, I think that even at his young age, he would still miss his mother – for for a long time, he would ask for her, and every time she, they said no, I'm sorry, she can't. He would the helpless sadness would come back. Oh yeah, I think that it would go on for a while. But that intense misery where he's because I would imagine that first day he would be hungry, he would be scared, he would be um, hurt. Um, I don't. It doesn't seem like they got him really any significant medical care. So he's injured. He's got this foreign presence in his brain, which he's probably struggling with on some level. His magic is struggling with it because he's young. A um, day or two, but his misery level is so intense that you take that at, at three times. Um, but even if Minerva comes and picks him up and holds him and gets him care and gets him to sleep, um, then it's not going to let up for those Death Eaters for several days yeah. yet. So he's going to have, I think there'd be some long-term ramifications for those who supported Voldemort in terms of Harry's emotional state. But that that Minerva, I think, would, would take action fairly quickly if she realized he were in jeopardy um, and go take care of him. And I don't think she would do it to stop karma. I think that, of course, she would do it because she would want to protect him from being harmed anymore. Um 
we're talking we're talking about karma here, not luck. Um, two different it's two different bunnies. I don't think they work together actually. I I don't know about the Horcrux as far as the karma goes because. Part of the karma spell, um, part of the punishment that Voldemort faces, is that all his Horcruxes were destroyed. Yeah, it wouldn't be there. But if it were yeah. to latch onto anybody, I would think it would latch onto Peter. Oh! <laughs> or Snape. Or Snape. Somebody directly responsible for the situation. So if there was only one bit of Voldemort left, right, and it was in someone... I, I would think, think it would, I actually think it would probably be on. I I I think Peter because more directly involved in the betrayal, um, mm-hmm. and potentially right outside. Right, Snape wasn't physically there. Peter's the one that got Voldemort's wand, so he was there before Snape was. Okay. So. Oh, that would be, that would have to be perfect karma because not only um, did all his Horcruxes get destroyed, but he stuck in Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only bit of Voldemort left is in Peter Pettigrew. He's a miserable crying mess. <laughs> <laughs> Voldemort's going to be so mad. And he has no mother's protection to protect him from Peter, to protect him from the Horcrux. Right. He's fucked. So they could just talk to him all the time. They have nothing but each other for company forever. And it also puts Voldemort on the board for you if you want to keep him in, in, in play. Yeah. Nominally, a teeny tiny bit of Voldemort <laughs> that can't get out. <laughs> I do think it would be a little bit difficult to me- meld the luck and the karma curse karma bunny together, but you might be able to do it. Um, I think it would make it for a very cracky fic. It would you want to write some crack, you go ahead and write crack. You just go ahead and put those together. Yeah. Have some fun with that. Yeehaw. I don't do well setting out to write crack. It happens every once in a while. Um, I don't just do well with it. I mean, the thing is, it often... This is terrible, but often the stuff that I intend to write cracky comes out kind of sweet, which is almost disappointing <laughs> when that happens. <laughs> it's like, well, how did that get sticky sweet? I don't understand. <laughs> That's not what I intended. But knowing me like I know me, and knowing my um, my re- only recently, well, not really recently, but semi-recently discovered um, vicious streak when it comes to Harry Potter, I I I feel like that me and the um, um, the, uh, the karma curse would, would fuck some people up. Well, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be able to help myself. Well, you could have people doing their best who aren't aware of the karma curse, trying to take actions against Harry Potter. And the more overtly horrible their actions are, the worse the curse the fucks they them up. Because they don't, they don't have to be 
trying to fuck Harry Potter up in person for the spell to work. They said to be trying to fuck with him. So let's say, yes, I am. Evie, you dumped right in there on the crack that turned into sticky sweet clean lit. I mean, very sweet. I'm, I don't. I have no regrets, but it did not come out cracky, like I thought. <laughs> like she had planned. <laughs> I planned for it to be funny. It didn't really come out all that funny. Maybe a little bit amusing, but it, it did not come out cracky like I thought. I never intend on being funny. It's an accident. Yeah, funny. It, it, things I write that are actually come out truly funny is always an accident. It's like, well, I didn't really mean that to be as funny as it was, but there you go. I mean, sometimes I write something funny, I'll be like, ha that's funny, but it's never on purpose. Normally I'm just being an asshole, or my character's being an asshole, and it comes out funny, but it's it's never on purpose. I'm not, I've never set out to write humor because I don't think I'm funny. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't trying to be probably one of the things people attribute me as being one of the funniest things I've written is Tony's retelling of the robbery he was involved in um, to Derek when the Sentinel Guide story I wrote for them in Perfect. I actually did not intend that to be. I mean, I intended it to be amusing a little bit because I was trying to give Tony something that had happened that he was relaying to Derek that would be so absurd that it would not make Derek would not rile up his sentinel instincts. And it it tickled people more than I thought it would. Um, probably just the Harry Potter references. <laughs> but yeah, I never intend on being funny. I don't actually think I am funny. So it's always really interesting when it happens. I'm like, really? Look at that. <laughs> Yeah, if I set out to be funny, it always falls flat if I do it on purpose. I I mean, there are things I put in that are obviously deliberately intended to be amusing, but like funny, like comic, that it never works when I do it on purpose. Lighthearted and amusing, I do that. Uh, I do that on purpose because I'm just trying to be light about something. But sometimes it winds up coming out very funny to people, and it's just it's not, it wasn't ever my intent. I don't mind. I don't mind. I love making people laugh. But um, it's just rarely on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. One of the things about something like a karma curse, or this is just this is just me throwing this out there in case anybody decides to do anything with a karma curse or a luck thing. Um, I see this a lot where there's been a significant change in the in some some sort of element like this, um, and the story picks up in fourth year or fifth year, with the first four years having preceded a pace, and the difference is start in fifth year or fourth year. Let's say fourth year. That actually doesn't make any sense. Um, no, I don't see Harry coming into contact with Dementors if he's on the Comic Curse. How, unless, of course, you know, Dolores manages to still develop this boner to kill him, and um, she sends the Dementor, but she tries, but the Dementor would actually probably kiss her if she ordered yeah, it to exactly. kiss somebody. Yeah, so. 
I would actually think, I mean, the thing is, you'd have to figure out under what circumstances would a Harry who, you gotta, if you start looking through Harry's life operating under a karma curse, where it's not so much that people are going to figure out the karma curse, it's just shitty things. Somebody who tries to do something bad to Harry and their whole life falls apart is now no longer focused on Harry, okay? So a lot of people haven't figured this out, but Harry is still being left alone as a result because they're so busy with the crap they've brought on themselves that they're not still trying to fuck up Harry's shit. So Harry's life would have to go dramatically differently and much better, which means a lot of the shenanigans, um, can you imagine what, if, if you even got to fourth year, can you imagine what would happen to what's-his-face if he tried to put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire? I think I mean, his real name would pop out. Yeah, probably. Or he, you and know. And okay, Barty Crouch Jr.? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had, I have, I, well, I started, it got, wound up being a little bit too long for the prompt I was working on for, on the workshop. But I'd done, I'd mentioned this, that I'd done this little, worked on this little prompt um, for, was it a justice prompt? Was it for justice? Minister Justice, but something like that. It was something like that, one of the prompts. And um, it was that Harry um, Harry researched um, the rules of the tournament and realized that, um, that since he didn't put his name in the goblet, that he was actually acting as the proxy for the person who did put their name in the goblet. And that the person who actually did the name putting in was the person whose magic was on the line, not Harry's. So he just refuses to compete. <laughs> I'm not doing it. And everybody's like, you'll lose your magic. And he's like, it ain't my magic that's at risk here. I didn't put my name in. I checked. <laughs> and Barty reveals himself because he is insisting that Harry has to compete just because you have to get in, you have to compete, you have to compete. He's like, no, I don't. Why do you think I have to compete, Professor Moody? Did you do something you want to tell us about? It's a little bit cracky, <laughs> but he eventually, um, you know, and then Dumbledore tries to guilt him into competing because, um, you know, he doesn't want to see even Barty Crouch lose his magic. And Harry's like, oh, fuck you. So, yeah, so that was kind of like If you want Barty to keep that... his magic, let Barty compete. <laughs> exactly. And then the other school teachers are like, you can't have an adult competing in a child's tournament. He has to have a a, a, a proxy. And it, so it must be Mr. Potter. And Harry's like, no, get somebody who's 17. <laughs> Not doing it. There was a really great um, logical consequences pick once where Harry realized that if somebody could volunteer him for an unbreakable contract, that he could do the same thing to others. So he bought a whole bunch of parchment and made a whole bunch of unbreakable vows on behalf of Death Eaters and Dumbledore, and they all lost their magic. <laughs> What if now this is one where you would have some terrible I would do something terrible like um the, the vow <laughs> he places on behalf of Snape is something I swear on my magic that I will not bathe 
And then Snape never loses his magic, and Harry's really grossed out. <laughs> like, damn it. I used some more parchment, Hermione. <laughs> I made a bad like choice. A couple weeks later, he's looking at him going, what is, what is, some, you still got your magic? What the fuck? <laughs> you nasty motherfucker. dude. <laughs> I've read the one where Voldemort says he's put in the goblet. It's hilarious. I have not read that. Thank you, Willow. Willow Willow can find anything. The magical magical contract one is called Magical Contracts by Kaylin Dark Moon, and it is on um, fanfiction.net, and that's Kaylin with a K. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's hilarious. And, but the best part is that the magic of the contract lists him all the crimes they violated. <laughs> they permitted that ruined their vow. So now not only have they lost their magic, but he has a confession of all their crimes. <sighs> and that, my friends, is logical consequences. Yeah, well, that is that is taking things to their logical conclusion because of, it, of that's that's one of the basic foundations of fix it in Harry Potter, is when you take things to their logical conclusion, you're left with some ugly stuff. Yeah, like love potions, like love potions, yeah, which are treated as a joke in canon, like they're not rape in a bottle. Well, they do so many things in Harry Potter about subverting people's will. And it's like... <sighs> and only the Imperius is unforgivable. Yeah, I mean, even... Um, what is that? The, the jelly legs jinx? Taking control of somebody's body? I would feel incredibly violated by that. And they treat it like it's a practical joke. I mean, basically, the magical world with the number, with the number of spells and you know jinx, the jinxes and hexes and pranks they pull on each other magically—they just run around assaulting each other left, right, and center. Right. I did read a fic once where Hermione um, got in an altercation with um, a reporter, and um, she hexed him and injured him, and she had to serve. Um, she got convicted and had to serve a jail sentence. She didn't go to Azkaban. Um, it was in a ministry cell, like six weeks for misdemeanor assault or something like that. It'd be nice if that was actually what was going on in Harry Potter universe is that people were doing these, basically cursing each other in the streets and they were serving jail time. I mean, otherwise it would be, they have to be doing something. Otherwise it would be out of control, but the kids at Hogwarts pretty much did whatever the fuck they wanted. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that there needs to, like, be a story where Muggleborn kind of comes in and starts, talk, you know, getting very um, upset about the lack of, you know, the lack of boundaries between students and how there's so much mad, so much assault and battery going on in the school and how they just don't feel safe. <laughs> I, um, I have a story uh, where Harry grew up with his parents, and um, <laughs> there's a scene where Molly and Lily get into it. And um, she lets Molly 
hex her, and then she hexes her back, and they both get arrested. But um, the the rule was is if you didn't break a bone or break skin, then it's not against the law. <laughs> so Lily didn't get charged, but Molly did because she broke Lily's hand. And it was just like this thing. I was like, I wonder how that would work. How how, how could I finagle that where Molly goes to jail and Lily doesn't? <laughs> so I'm negotiating with myself about what is considered magical assault. You know, what's the line between um, a harmless act and a, you know you know an injury? And so that's the line that I drew. You know, no broken bones and no broken skin. But I think that bat bogey hex should actually be illegal. Yeah. Because it's disgusting. <laughs> and I have, I, have, I have a weak stomach, and that's gross. <laughs> yeah, every time I see, uh, uh, and they're, so, they're very cavalier about it, but when I see stories where the bat bogey hex is just flung about whenever um, Jenny gets mad at her brothers, I'm just like, Oh my God! I mean, I couldn't. I already disliked her. Do I need to dislike her more because of this? Yes. Good plan. Good plan. Yeah, they do have a. Yeah, obviously they have a different um, idea of what's wrong and right because they had no problem putting people in prison without trial on a regular basis. Um, you think dementors? They torture each guards. other. Uh, they yeah. use soul-eating demons as prison guards. I mean, they're obviously living in a different um, cultural environment. But it should be illegal, even in their environment, to cause somebody a physical injury that requires hospitalization. <laughs> even if it's brief because of magic. And conceivably it is. It's just not. I mean, this is a case again of the whole thing being mostly told through Harry the lens of Harry Potter. But still, we do know most of those. We do know most of those kids never got in trouble. Unless it serves a plot. (laughs) Yeah. And they got in trouble a lot for breaking curfew, but they sure didn't get in trouble for flinging hexes around at each other. Right? And you think those portraits would have a job? Report any student that <laughs> physically injures another. That's how you're going to pay rent. There would probably be a lot of people who would be happy to have a portrait space at Hogwarts just for the, you know, having actual interaction for the rest of their portraity existence. Right. You don't end up on some dusty wall in a library that nobody visits. That's kind of sad. It is sad. I, like I have a plot money that I picked. Go ahead. Go ahead, son plot bunny that I picked up in Farm Bunnies about um, portraits uh, that uh, Harry Potter has an ancestor living in living in a portrait in Hogwarts and the portraits get together and decide during fourth year that there's some bullshit going on 
So they're going to train him. And so um, he gets to meet all the portraits, and he gets to meet the founders. I like. I always like this. The I like the whole trope, the idea of Harry portraits looking out for him. I don't know why I find that so appealing. I guess I just do. I like it too. Stories where like Harry's transported into like an alternate universe and through a portrait, and I just always really kind of dig those stories. When she first corners him in the room, he's pissed off about his name coming out of the goblet. And he's storming around and pitching a fit. And she tells him to calm down. And she tells him that all the portraits had a meeting about him. He's contemplating running, but he has no idea where he would run because Hogwarts is full of portraits. (laughs) He's got nowhere to go. And I kind of picture his ancestor to be Emily Blunt picture of her historical costume that I downloaded. Um. I'm not sure. Somebody mentioned Somebody mentioned that it's when almost any injury can be instantly painlessly fixed, it changes the perception of danger. I don't even think it's canon that things are instantly painlessly fixed. Um, some things are easily fixed, but there's too much time those kids spend in the infirmary in canon for things to be instant fixes. Instant painless fixes. That'd be a good ancestor for Harry. Yeah, she's a um, she's the great granddaughter of Godric Gryffindor, and um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, Galgo does take hours. It's it's. And it didn't seem like it was really all that painless. Um, and Moody is evidence that not everything can be instantly easily fixed. I'm sure a lot of things can be. They're able to reverse a lot of things that are done through you know, like transfiguration pretty easily, which I assume is what most of what the Weasley twins are doing is temporary transfigurations. Um, mm-hmm. Well, still... I'd be pretty pissed if someone forced me to have to have Skelligro. It wouldn't matter if it was hours versus weeks in the cast. But they just seem to get over it. I actually read a fic about that once where um, Harry realizes that uh, so something had happened between him and Draco. And Draco was physically injured during this altercation. And the next time he sees them, he, he notices that Draco isn't as angry with him as he should be. And he finds out in the magical world that part of magical healing is that they remove the memory of the pain. Huh. So they don't. Rem- so they don't remember the consequences of their actions. What's up, Vader? Vader? Yeah, you were going... <laughs> oh. No, I actually think I must have moved my microphone to a funny spot. Oh, yeah, it was it got into a funny place. You guys were just hearing me breathing there for a second. Um, 
I don't know, Claire. I think that might be Fanon, that his his wounds are permanent because of, um, the wounds were cursed. I think that might be Fanon, but I, can't, I don't really remember. It's a good idea, though. Although, I mean, it's not clear that they can replace a limb when it's been blasted off. They don't, it's not real clear that they can regrow one. That, Although, I would think that they should be able to. Voldemort did regrow a, a, a limb. Yeah, so it... it Hmm. Maybe it's Fanon. Maybe it wasn't explained in canon, but it's the only logical conclusion that, based upon the evidence, is that they were cursed injuries. We we do a lot of things that are logical conclusions, so they seem like they must be canon, because it's the only mm-hmm. logical conclusion you can come to. Because canon doesn't explain. So I don't remember if that one was explained or not. Probably not, because you know Harry didn't ask. <laughs> no, he didn't. Case is the uncurious you know, child. It gets it gets to the point where either he's just completely uninterested, or he literally has no fucks to give, ever. He never had any. All of his fucks are gone. They've been gone since 1981. <laughs> Willow says that the twin's ear couldn't be replaced because it was a curse injury, Deathly Hallows. So I guess that, um, even if they didn't directly talk about Moody, it's a logical inference that his wounds were not healed because they were curse injuries. So, shall we, oh, oh, shall we try a different idea? Okay. Do you want to? This is. I, I'm planning. We got five you, minutes do wanna, left. Do you want to try time travel sentinel guide? <laughs> you saw that, did you? I realized recently that I had never written a time travel sentinel and guide, and I felt like I felt like I had deprived myself because what? Well, I feel like you deprived How could yourself I not too. Have mixed my two favorite tropes in one. I was like, I don't even know what to do with myself. I was, this is almost as bad as that epiphany I had when I realized that I had written Mel Preg. <laughs> <laughs> By accident. But no, I have never written a Harry Potter Sentinel travel. And I was trying to think of reasons why a Sentinel um, would time travel. Um, because for me, you know, um, it depends on the universe, obviously. If you pick something like Stargate, it could be technology-based. But in in all of my magic I use when there's been time travel involved, it, it usually involves a sacrificial death of some kind. So for Harry to be the Sentinel going back in time, there would have to be a... Um, a severe, re- a big reason for him to want, for him to sacrifice himself as a sentinel. What if, if it's Draco? Survivors. If it's what Draco. What if it's Draco and it's because he finds out that he should have been a sentinel? 
And for some reason, I don't know, some sort of curse or there was some kind of block or something was preventing the sentinels and guides of his generation from coming online. And he decides to go back in time and prevent that. Okay. So how's he do it? The time travel? Yeah. How does he... Where is he going? What does he already know? What can he prevent? Does he know about the Horcruxes? Does he know the prophecy? Harry's his guide, right? Yeah. What if what if Harry was like what if there's like, you know, some sort of like in every generation in 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 every basic region? Because we we we've done a lot with like their territories, you know. What if like mm-hmm. the UK is like a territory, right? And like in every generation, um, there's a shaman born, someone who's like a guy descendant. It's sort of become my head canon that shaman is a way of saying that's that's what the ascendant guides are, right? So what mm-hmm. if Harry was intended to be that? And something that Dumbledore did prevented Harry from coming online. And as a result, it fucked up it for everybody. It, it just kind of ruined the kind of blocked the psionic magic from flowing, the psionic energy from flowing in the UK and fucked everything up. What if it's Narcissa who figures it out? Does she go back in time? And, travels, and she travels back in time to fix it. I like that because here's the thing about me, and I have, a, I have a little quirk, and you might have noticed. I don't often let Harry travel in time by himself, um, especially if it's going to be a pairing, because I don't want the disparity of age to happen. Like, I can't. Age and experience, I cannot. Yeah. I cannot put a 28-year-old Harry Potter with a 15-year-old Hermione. Yeah, it's creepy. It's gross to me. It's gross. So, so I'll have, have to them go back together, or this would be really interesting with Narcissa. Because it takes away that disparity. Yeah. So what if she does it? And she goes back in time and does the what. The what is kind of up for grabs. But then you have things playing out differently where um, conceivably, of course, she'd be ensuring that Draco was raised differently because she would find out that her son was intended to be a sentinel. Um, the sentinel of the guy descendant of that generation, which means he would be the strongest sentinel in the UK, which would be an impressive um, motivation for her to go back and set things to rights. Um, Very slithering. She could appeal to, I like it. Yeah. She could appeal to Lord Black for his assistance in solving the matter and being being supportive of her. Um, maybe, um, well, you could do it a couple ways. She could go back far enough to prevent um, James and Lily's death so that Harry grows up well. Um, if you wanted Harry to still be orphaned, um, it could be that she goes back... back. <laughs> 
you put some limitation on how far she can travel back. Um, that like she can't go back before the birth of her own son, which would mean that she's not able to really, um, well, hmm. you have to put some kind of limitation on how far she can travel back. Um, anyway. Um, if I was you going could, to save James and Lily, I would be standing outside Hogshead the night the prophecy was delivered. And I would kill Snape and Dumbledore as they left the building. And that that would play out. Things would play out very differently with those two off the board. Yep. It's hardcore, but Narcissa is hardcore. She is hardcore. You couldn't do that with every character. I wouldn't do that with Minerva. I don't think I would do it with McGregor, my um, my OC. Um, well, Sybil doesn't actually remember her own prophecies. The right. Sybil isn't a problem unless unless it's a fake prophecy. But they won't serve her now because Dumbledore is dead, and that means Minerva's in charge, and she can't take um, she can't stand divination, so it isn't even going to be a subject by the time she gets done. But um, so it's. It, it is a hardcore solution, but it is the one thing that would keep Harry safe. It would keep James and Lily safe, and Voldemort would never see him coming. But then you have the thing of what to do with Voldemort in the interim. Yeah. Well, you, you know, the... um. The thing about, I mean, I kind of played with this a little bit one story about the power, you know, that fate has to find another way when you fuck with it. And that the power mm-hmm. that Voldemort knows not is something, when they you interfere with what the power should have been, that fate finds another way. And like in the case of, in canon, it finds um, the master of death thing, maybe, arguable, that's what's going on. It's that Harry is the master of the elder one. But what if it was the, the, the fact that Harry's a, a shaman? is the power that the Dark Lord knows not. And that's the power that's intended to ultimately defeat him. And that whatever Dumbledore does is what fucks that up for everybody. Um, but they could do something about Dumbledore. They could do something about Voldemort. The thing is, that I, it, it's my opinion that Voldemort was not, I was my defeated, that he was not defeated in canon faster than he was. Because people's Apathy. magical Britain, yeah, fundamentally weren't doing anything to stop it. They were, there was like a tiny band of freedom fighters, um, and Narcissa, um, she kind of has the power to 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 change things. She's well positioned to remove his support structure, you know, because one dumbass at a time. Back. Yeah, she's. She, she could she could kill, but she doesn't have to kill. The Slytherin thing to do would be to remove his support in a different way, because she she's going back in time with the knowledge of exactly who he is, and exactly where his Horcruxes are, and exactly how to defeat him. How does she know where the Horcruxes are? Harry could have told her. Harry would have to tell her, or Hermione. Or Hermione. What if, oh, 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 what if Draco and Harry both die? 
because they never come online the way they're supposed to, and they have some kind of magical upheaval and die. And Hermione and Narcissa come together to research it to figure out what's happening. Maybe they, maybe they are dying and they're not dead yet, and they come across the information, and they decide between them that one of them is going to go back in time, and Narcissa decides it will be her because um, Hermione doesn't need to remember all that horrible shit that happened to her during the war, and Narcissa thinks she can handle it. So Hermione gives Narcissa all the information she has, all the information that Dumbledore had, that plugs in all the information that you would need. And then yep. Hermione helps Narcissa with the ritual. Yep. It's to you whether or not every... Draco and Harry are dead or they're dying. You know, but it would be something to bring them two of them together. Two powerhouses, two very different powerhouses. I would still do Narcissa because I would definitely want to take Dumbledore out first. Because Dumbledore is a bigger threat than um, Voldemort. To Harry, anyway. Yeah, and I I think Narcissa is more ruthless, fundamentally, than pr- mm-hmm. probably most of the characters. Um, yeah. So, and I think that she'd be well set up also to ensure that Hermione had a different upbringing. Um, at least, like, sponsoring her or something to learn about magic right. earlier. Um, and giving her a, more of a leg up into the wizarding world. Um, but yeah, she'd be well positioned because, I mean, that could be the way she cut, cuts Voldemort down as she starts cutting out his followers. Um, there's a lot of things she could do that don't involve going around and killing all the Death Eaters. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I, I, the, the, I, I feel like the, going back and killing all the Death Eaters has been done and done so well that like I wouldn't re, I, I wouldn't retread that path, but you could. Um, <laughs> I do think that she has to either figure out what Lucius's damage is and fix him, or she has to kill him because he's too dangerous for her son. There are two oh, characters that are really really dangerous for Draco and Harry, and that is Dumbledore and Lucius. Yeah, I would probably, um, I probably would have her like just getting getting a hold of that. She would she'd become the boss of the family, and she'd probably enlist her her um, enlist enlist the lord of her her family to assist her and get Lucius under control. And like, you're going to be a better father. You're going to be a better person if I have to kill you to do it. <laughs> you can because either be. Comfortable, <laughs> or you can be uncomfortable. Lucius is, to me, he is can be an incredible asset if you point him in the right direction. He's um, has the potential to be actually very Slytherin and to get stuff done. Um, and it's a matter of how does she get him pointed in the right direction. And the thing is, if he's alive when she's deciding to do this, he could be dying too. But if he's alive when she decides to do this, you could even write it that he he is under some sort of he, he would know what would shake him out of his off course. He would know. He'd be able to advise her on how to turn him a different direction. 
So you could have him, you could have him be under the effect of some kind of curse on his line or something like that, or just that he'd been lied to and promised a bunch of shit, and that just the truth is going to be what's going to set him on the right path. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could go about it. I also write that the dark mark is corrupted and that, that Voldemort influences his followers emotionally through the dark mark. Yeah. I always like writing into the, the future, dark mark. They might have got a, a way to get rid of the mark. Yeah, I always like to write it that the dark mark is actually remarkably easy to get rid of um, if it's done in partial tongue. Because um, cause I, I, just, I like the idea that Voldemort's arrogance about that ability um, led him to leaving, not, not making it particularly difficult to remove. It's just apply the removal spells have to be done in a language that is, that he thinks nobody else can speak. Yeah, um, I did it in Child of Magic. Harry um, just had to use parcel magic spells to, to, to pull the mark out. Yeah. And in Slytherin Black, I had another, they just bring in another parcel mouth to take it off. Um, um, and that's what she could do. She could just, maybe there's an incredible influence of the dark mark. Maybe they start corrupting them the minute they get it. And... The longer they have it, the more they're corrupted by it. And so she just she just drags the fuck out of Lucius, and he wakes up about the dark mark. <laughs> She's like, I wasn't going to give you a choice on that one. Well, darling, it was either we take the mark off or we cut your arm off. And we thought this would be the nicer thing to do. So, But the arm off is still on the table. Even though there's no more dark <laughs> mark, I'm still willing I'm still willing to do it if you'd prefer. Yeah. Just let me know. <laughs> I kind of want to see her play by Nicole Kidman. I cast Narcissa as Nicole Kidman, but I didn't. I, ca- I cast um, um, a different, I, I cast Septimus Malfoy's um, spouse as Nicole Kidman. I can't remember what I named her. <laughs> Why am I blanking on that? <laughs> it's just, I, I'm brain dead. I'd make I'm a stunningly attractive dead. widow. She totally would make a stunningly attractive widow. I usually cast Narcissa as Diane Kruger. I think it's her name. Mm-hmm. She's pretty, um, too. Yeah, she's beautiful. Especially the younger Narcissa. I think that's who I usually yeah, that's who I usually cast as Narcissa. But I do like the idea of a of a sentinel and guide um timeline, uh time travel because if especially if you do the sentinel, um I like the idea of, of Narcissa going back in time and, and, and saving her son. It really speaks to her character because she was willing to lie to the Dark Lord's face for her son's sake. More than once. So she's um, very invested in her child, uh, so that, that it makes sense that she would that, that she would make that kind of sacrifice for him. Yeah, and I think she could have you could write her as having kind of an epiphany, like that she had been quiet and not said 
you know, she had taken the path of least resistance her her whole life because she thought it was um, protecting Draco, and it actually was the opposite. Um, and have her decide that she's going to go um, the completely different direction. Because walking that path led to the death of her son. And it had never gone well. It, by the time Draco was a teenager, it was clear that um, clear that her path of her her non-interference path was not going to save um, Draco's life. So it did it didn't do anything for him. So I think that she it, it's really plausible that she could see that she needed she she had an opportunity to do it again. Um, that she would and be much more assertive. chat room where did it go yeah I have too many tabs too I'm all time losing the chat room what are you what are you posting yeah she's hot yeah she is and she looks badass too that's a woman nice that's a woman that would totally snipe, snipe in the back of the head with a piercing curse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you would. Oh, actually, it would be fantastic if Snape and Dumbledore were found cuddled up in a um, in a in a bed in um, in um, the inn or whatever. Um, it was a suicide note saying they just couldn't be apart anymore. <laughs> I am horrified. I am horrified on for, for so many reasons. <laughs> not you know, honestly, sometimes it's not enough to kill somebody. You have to like ru- ruin their reputation too. <laughs> there are stories out there that I have like hard doped out of when um there are there are um like Dumbledore's got a crush on Snape or something and it's like not disclosed and you're like getting into the story and he's got all these feelings for him and I'm like oh my god. It's like they're trying to give a different spin on why Dumbledore put up with Snape's shenanigans and it's because he's in love with him or something and I'm like no, no, no. Set me free. I can't deal. (laughs) I'm just saying it. It, that Dumbledore needs his reputation ruined <laughs> and a murder-suicide is the perfect way to do it. <laughs> it was my favorite method out of all the ones I picked for um, Darkly Lowell for, for, um, for, for Harry to, to fake a murder-suicide. Who else? Are there any other bad guys? People she knows are bad or something like that that you could like mess with them? 
like you could have them like leave a note that they're both in love with Peter and that they couldn't decide who was going to get him or something like that. You know, I just really grossed myself out. Just saying. Um, we, need to do, we need to do more. We need to try aim higher. Ellie, no. Oh. oh. Go to the corner, young lady. I don't actually know how young <laughs> you are, but for that suggestion, young lady. <laughs> I'm going to call you young lady. <laughs> oh, Edie. <laughs> okay, Nothing. Edie says that she'd rather, she'd rather, she'd rather, I don't know if I can say it, she'd rather read Snary than Snapledore. Snapledore. He's like, I'll never be able to drink Snapple again. I'm ruined. <laughs> Edie goes to the corner with <laughs> Let's go with Ellie. Who's in the corner? Ellie. Ellie's in the corner. Get in the corner with Ellie. It's the E corner. <laughs> in Child of Magic, Peter kills Umbridge and Fudge when they're in bed. <laughs> but it was in self-defense. <laughs> well, it's because nobody needed to see that. <laughs> Yeah, and that's an and now that there's an interesting question for you. Just on principle, what would Narcissa do to Umbridge? Although I have to say, I knew what you meant, non-can. I knew what you meant. Um, um, clearly, clearly, autocorrect got the best of you, but unbridgeable is hysterical it's autocorrect great. for Umbridge. That is awesome. Is it? That's great. <laughs> I, I see. Honestly, it depends because Umbridge was never a threat to Draco. No, but I would think Hermione would be setting some conditions down. She'd be telling, she'd look, if you're going to do this, there are some people who need to be schooled who messed up Harry's life. Now, she's because Umbridge is not just going back for Draco. She's, she, Draco's not going to realize his, but not Umbridge. Narcissus is not just going back for Draco. She's going back to make sure Draco realizes his potential, which means he has to bond to Harry, which means she's invested in Harry having a better life and coming online a healthy and happy guide, right? So right. I would think, you know, that... Um, Umbridge is, is going to be a threat based on Umbridge's power. Yeah, so she'd make sure she never had any power, ever, ever. She would keep her in the lowliest position she could keep her for the rest of that woman's life, and she would have no clue why she couldn't advance. I like the idea of Narcissa just going back and fucking things up. It just it just makes my heart happy. <laughs> it's a it's, good idea. It really does. It really does. I think she's underutilized as a character, um, which is why when I did um, Birth of the Serpent King, um, I saved her as the parent. And also in Dark of the Lowell, 
because I just I just I, I like her a lot. I, I I think she's really interesting as a character, and she has a lot of potential. And she's not her canon actions aren't so egregious that they're um, difficult to overlook. Yeah. You know, she, her her whole mindset is keeping her son safe, and that is something that um, even Molly Weasley would understand. That's that's Narcissa's goal the whole time is just to save. Oh, hey, Chris. Um, we were just talking about your tea lady story. Um, we were. Um, she's just she's just there to save her son, and she she lies to the Dark Lord and protects Harry because she wants the she wants Harry to win. Because she knows what it's like to live in Voldemort's world, and she doesn't want it. So she's very interesting. Yeah, I and Chris did run a kick-ass. Somebody... Yeah, she did. Um, go read Tea Ladies over on Wild Hair. It's awesome. Um, Narcissa, um, I think Narcissa also has a lot of potential because, like, nobody would expect what was happening as being her, being her at the root of it. They would look at like anybody else. And actually, while Voldemort's off looking for other sources of his problems, he's probably getting rid of threats. Things, you know, he's probably dealing with some of Narcissus' to-do list um, just because of his own paranoia, and he's never suspecting her. I'm going to put that on. I'm writing that down, Edie. Narcissa, the time-traveling ninja assassin. <laughs> Not like a dragon hide. She's got standards. <laughs> Not that she wouldn't look badass in Lycra. Because <laughs> she would. We're, we're down to a minute and a half. Yeah, no, no, no Snapple. From now on in my head, I'm ruined. Snapple door. I, I may never <laughs> get over that. Seconds when I'm um, near the end of the podcast, um, the um, there's a voice that will tell me how many seconds we've got. It starts going at like in a minute and a half, 90 seconds, and then it'll 60 seconds. We've got 50 seconds left. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. And everybody just say no to Snape Adore. <laughs> no.